0: Thanks for joining us today at The Vine Church. We are one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this message with others or click on the Give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving
1: Thank you. That was awesome. Um, hey, how are you, church? You good? Hey, it's great to see you. My name is David Walters. If I haven't had the tr- uh, privilege of meeting you or if this is your first time, we're all about the base. And um, we just brought that back in this bumper video. Now, it's great to be with you guys today. Today is an exciting day to be together, number one, because it's been like two full weeks for those of us that are regulars here without seeing each other. And it's kind of like a family reunion. So it's uh, great to be back. In fact, uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, it's great to see you. Yeah, now turn to the other neighbor that you didn't say that to and say the same thing to them so they don't feel left out, all right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. There's a lot of excitement as we kick off a brand new series, number one, because we always start like a series like this with a with kind of an opening song to kind of kick off the series. And can it get any better than Journey and Bon Jovi mashed together? <laughs> yeah that was pretty awesome and pretty thematic because we don 't want to stop believing we don 't want to stop living on a prayer, so we just put them all together and uh, that 's going to be powerful a powerful reminder for us. Throughout the rest of the series, that if we want to experience our best life ever, we we pretty much need two things. Number one, we need belief, and then secondly, we need prayer. We'll get to that in just a second as we kick off this new series, "Best Year Ever." It's kind of to capture and kind of focus us into what just happens naturally in our culture this time of the year, where for some reason, when we turn that calendar page to a new year, all of a sudden we get weird and we think changes are going to take place, right? And even though January 1st is no different than the first of any other month, or or this week or month is any different than any other month, or this year is going to be any different than any other month, we somehow at the end of the previous year, we get focused on the areas of our life where we want to see hope and uh, restoration and change. And so we come into the new year with all kinds of new year's resolutions and we declare that this is going to be better than last year. How many of you would sign up? You'd say, Hey, I'd like the best year ever. This to be the best year ever. This is participatory part of the sermon. Raise your hands. Yeah. Some of you, how many of you are just saying, Hey, just anything better than last year? I'll take that. Yeah. And <laughs> how many of you are saying, Well, it can't get much worse. All right. Right. Yeah. And and it is. It's it's this time where we have the excitement about what possibilities lie ahead of us in this new year. And I'm already jacked. I'm already thinking this is the best year ever. Because I mean, here we are, the first week in January, and the Falcons and the Dogs still have a chance to win a championship. Yeah, how many dog fans out there? Go Dogs! Hey, do we have any Bama fans out there? All right, hold on, hold on. There's this guy named Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins, and I'm going to pray for you after service ever. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this is already set up to be a great year, and now our church, we start off with Journey and Bon is like best church ever, and, uh, and we've got this series, Best Year Ever. We want to we wanna focus in on how we can discover our best year ever. And it might be a little bit different than what you're thinking, uh, because maybe you're thinking, okay, well, David's going to talk to us about how we can get in shape. David's going to talk to us about how we can get our finances. And David's going to talk to us about all these things that we kind of like list out as what will make it the best year ever if all these things happen. But actually, what we're going to do is we're going to spin that. And instead of changing things externally, we're going to take a look at things internally. And so what we're going to talk about is four practices over the next four weeks that you can put into place in your life that will help you experience the best life ever. And it might actually not change anything externally, though I think that it will, but it will change something internally. In fact, as we get into these practices, I want to give you two disclaimers. The first disclaimer is this, that these are spiritual practices. Some of you are like already bummed. These are spiritual practices. These are practices that are going to allow your soul to be the best that it's ever been. Because you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. And, and there's a big difference because when it comes to this time of the year, we, we've all seen it. Maybe you've even posted it for accountability on Facebook. You, you want to get in better shape, you know? You've seen some of your friends, maybe you've talked about it, how you're going you're to get in better shape. So you're going to go join a gym. Yeah, and some of you have already seen it at the gym where, like, you no longer have the treadmill that you used to have when you get there because somebody else who just showed up and they got their New Year's resolution things. Hey, don't worry, in six weeks, they'll be gone and you'll get your treadmill back, okay? And, or, or maybe you've seen somebody say, hey, I'm going to eat better, and they're going paleo, or they're going keto, or they're doing some other oh diet, you know, and uh, you know, hopefully they'll hang with it. And so we try to do all these things externally that change our situation and our circumstances. But those of you that have lived long enough, and some of you students, you're already starting to figure this out, like every year is almost the same, right? There's certain things that happen externally around us, circumstances, situations, conditions, all kinds of things that happen that are high and that are low. And we go through the year and we experience these things that are unexpected. They're beyond our control. And and we go through and we're like, oh man, it can't get any worse than last year. I hope next year's better. And I hope this is the best year ever. So when it comes to circumstances and situations throughout our year, look, we're going to come across things that are are high. And we're like, yes, best year ever. And then low, worst year ever. And the reality is, it's probably going to not be a whole lot different than the other years. However, if we can anchor our soul, in a couple of practices, then what we can experience is that regardless of the situation around us, our soul is well. And if our soul is well, then we can experience best year ever. So we're going to work inside out. I believe that these four practices will actually make us aware of differences that happen externally but the second disclaimer is this. Those external changes might take time. Some of those internal changes might happen immediately, but, but they may, might take time as well. People that study behavioral science, they know that it takes between two months and three months for you to start to see changes that are taking place in your life. The reason that you'll get your treadmill back the six weeks into the new year is because people have already given up because they haven't seen the change that they are just on the brink of. If they would just wait two more weeks or one more month, they would see a definitive change in their body because of the exercise or because of the the changes that they've made in their diet. It takes between two months and three months for us to see change. These aren't fast-moving things that happen in our life. They take a little bit of time. And if we'll hang on, and if we'll hang in there... We will see that God will work through these practices in a way to where we can see transformation and where we can see change. Um, People that that are running businesses around people's behavior, they know that, and that's why they want to lock you in for a couple months. Uh, When I started uh, CrossFit a few years back, the owner of the box, when I went to sign up, he said, hey, I want to ask you to give me three months. He didn't make me financially obligated to those three months. In fact, if, he said, you can quit at any time, but I want to ask you to give me three months. And I also want to ask you to make a couple of changes in your diet, a couple of changes in the way that you eat for three months. And if you can do it for three months, you'll see change. And he was right. He was right. He did. Body starts to change. Your life starts to change. You start to feel a little bit different. Dave Ramsey, financial expert, He's experienced the, the, the highs and the lows in business. He, he starts a course that's primarily based out of biblical wisdom for our finances called Financial Peace University. His original course was 12 weeks long, three months. He knew that if he could get you hooked in for three months, then you will establish healthy changes in the area of financial management that will last you and that will be sustainable and that will actually create change in your life that you can recognize and are noticeable. Carolyn Leaf, she's a Christian neuroscientist. Our brains have the ability to kind of rewire and and reshape. They call it brain plasticity. And she says that it takes 63 days, three cycles of 21 days, for us to establish changes in the way we think that will then produce changes in our life. When we talk about these practices, there might be some immediate change that you experience in your life. But most likely, it's going to take a little bit of time for you to start to see how those changes are taking place in your life. We're going to plant seeds in this month. And I want to invite each and every one of you to make the investment of being here every week for the next four weeks in this series so that we can plant seeds that when we water them with these practices, God will grow them to where we'll see the fruit of these in the months in the year to come. So who's ready for best year ever? All right. Hey, in order for us to experience our best year ever, we need to pray. And some of you are like, oh man, we're going to go there. Yeah, we're going to go there. In order for us to experience our best year ever, we need to pray. And we need to pray the best prayer ever. And some of you are like, well, what is that best prayer? Because hey, look, when I start to pray, I don't know what to say. I start rambling. Sometimes I lose track and lose focus. Maybe sometimes your prayers feel a little bit like this. Let's take a look.
2: Greg, would you like to say grace?
0: Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish, Dad. You know
2: You're know. you telling me Jews don't pray, honey? <laughs> Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. I No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. <laughs> I said grace in many a dinner table. Okay. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day, and each day by day. Day by day by day. Dear Lord, three things we pray to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. My day. Amen. Amen.
1: Oh, Greg, that was lovely.
2: Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too.
1: Maybe your prayers have been an interesting journey for you. Maybe you don't know the right words to say. Maybe you think you're saying the wrong words. Uh, Maybe you just don't pray at all. Either way, I want to invite you uh, to pay attention as we take a look at the greatest model of prayer that we can have. And the greatest model of prayer that we have is found in the Bible. It's not the prayer of Jabez. It's actually a prayer of Jesus. Why would we settle for the prayer of Jabez when we can go with the prayer of Jesus? And Jesus taught his disciples a prayer to pray. And it's found in two locations in the Bible. And we're gonna take a look at the one that's found in Matthew chapter six. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I wanna invite you to go to Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, we're actually in the middle of one of Jesus's most famous sermons. It's a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. He's, He's preaching on a mountainside. There are thousands of people that are listening to him. He talks about some very practical aspects of life. He talks about some very spiritual aspects of life. And then um, the prompt from his disciples who want to know how they can pray like some other disciples of, of um, Jesus' cousin John were praying because they recognize that there's a difference in people that pray. Have you ever recognized the difference that, that might come from people that pray? You know those people that they are grounded in prayer and for some reason they always seem to be having their best year ever? Yeah, they want a glimpse of that. And so they say, hey, Jesus... Will you teach us to pray? And then he says this, when you pray, the assumption that Jesus makes is that if you're one of his followers, you'll pray. That if you're a God follower, you're going to pray. Now, I don't know that we can make that assumption anymore. I know that at certain times that would be a completely false assumption for my life, even as a follower of Jesus. And statistics tell us that most followers of Jesus don't pray a whole lot. But Jesus assumes that, and he says, when you pray, pray this, beginning with verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, or our sins, or trespasses, as we have forgiven our debtors, those that have transgressed against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And how many of you want to continue on by saying, thine is the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, right? Yeah. How many of you heard this in church or prayed this in church growing up, like every Sunday of your life? Maybe you've even prayed that every week. What I want to do for just a moment is pause and to say, if we're going to pray our best prayer ever, following the model of God in the flesh, then it needs to contain three things. If we want to pray our best prayer ever, it needs to contain praise. That's how Jesus starts off this prayer. I think it's int- intentional, and I think that it's important for us to look at the intentionality of Jesus. He could have started this prayer in a number of ways. Dear God, O oh Lord of hosts, you know, oh sweet baby Jesus, you know, I mean like any kind of way he wanted to, but he pauses and he says, pray this way, our Father, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't want to skip past the our Father part because that's really important, because I want you to understand that that while we talk about some things that can happen in our life because of prayer, you shouldn't know that the heart of God is to have a relationship with you. And there's no better way for us to understand that than, than to understand God as a parent, a parent who just wants to be with his children. But he starts off, after identifying our father, this relational aspect to the purpose of prayer, is, is hallowed be thy name. Now, Hallowood's not a word that we use a lot, like in our common, like, vocabulary. Uh, those students, I would encourage you to try to incorporate that in a paper this week. You might get some bonus pred- uh, credit for it. Um, Hallowed comes from a Greek word, hagiadzo. Everybody say hagiadzo. And hagiadzo was a, u- a word that they used 2,000 years ago to distinguish and differentiate between profane things and pure things. Or another way to think about it, between imperfect things and perfect things. And I think the intentionality of Jesus in saying that, hey, when you pray your best prayer ever, for your best year ever, let's start with praise. Let's start by distinguishing this conversation from all other conversations that you might have, including those conversations that you have with yourself. Now, maybe that's just me that I have some conversations with myself, but when it comes to things that are holding me back from experiencing that best life ever, or, or maybe how Jesus would frame it, abundant life, or maybe uh, breakthrough like the songs that we've seen, or maybe like a year where we go from surviving to thriving, whatever it is, whatever hope you have for the new year, then one of the things that holds us back from that is that we have conversations with others, we have conversations with ourselves about the circumstances and the situations that are all around us that are keeping us from experiencing that breakthrough, that abundance, that thriving, or the best year ever. So when we begin our conversation, we're having a different conversation, and we're distinguishing the person of God from all other problems that we have around us. We're distinguishing and saying, hey, the reason we're having this conversation with you is because you're distinct and you're different from all the circumstances and situations that are keeping us back from experiencing that best year ever. And something happens when we praise God. Something happens when we praise God that doesn't happen in any other uh, practice of going to the gym or, or, or eating differently or managing our money differently or even having conversations with people. The thing that happens when we pray and when we praise is that it invokes and that it invites the presence of God into that moment and into our lives in a real and tangible way. That's why we say at the beginning of our services, hey, we exist to connect people with God, and one of the ways that we connect with God is through worship because the Bible promises that God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, God's everywhere at all times, but God comes in a very real and tangible way when we praise, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. And so in that moment of praise, we take our eyes, we take our attention and our affection off of things of this earth that are profane and imperfect, and we place them on something that's not of this earth, but is eternal and is perfect and pure. It then invites and invokes the presence of God into our life and into our situation, circumstances, whatever we feel like needs to change externally. And it invites God into that moment where when God's presence shows up, as we've talked about today, all things are possible. All things are possible. So practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, it looks like, hey, when we begin our conversation with God, as frequently as we can, to begin with praise. Uh, for me, I know that in my life, um, a, a few years back, God started waking me up most mornings with a song on my heart. You know, on Monday mornings, it was one of the songs from the worship set. Then on Tuesday mornings, it might be a little bit different. But, but in the morning, when that alarm clock goes off, there's generally a, a, a song that's on my heart, a worship song, a praise song to God. And if there's not, I just hit snooze. So if I'm ever late for a meeting, it's like I'm waiting on God to give me that song, you know, on my heart. And then what I'll do is I'll take that song, and I'll go into my prayer closet, and I'll take my prayer journal, and I'll write out the words to the song, or at least the words that I think exist in the song. Have you ever been singing songs, and you're like, oh, that's a different song? Like, how many of you didn't know that in living on prayer, it was Tommy? You thought it was Johnny? Okay, no, anyway. So like, you you write down the lyrics. So I write down the lyrics of the song, and here's why I do this, because I have a problem in prayer sometimes staying focused. Anybody else experience that? Where you're like, oh, God, oh, there's a squirrel outside. You know, like, so, so I write them down, and then I just say them back to God. And, and I sing them back to God. Say them, and I sing them back to God, and I pray this back to God. I begin with praise. Why? Because for that moment, immediately in that conversation, I want to take my eyes, my attention, and my affection off of the things of this earth that are imperfect, that are profane, that maybe are holding me back from experiencing all that God has for me and to place them on the person, and the presence, and the power, and the perfection of God. And in a rare day where I don't have a song that's on my heart, I'll just go and I'll start writing out all the adjectives that I could come up with to describe God. God, you are good. You are great. You know, because I learned that in a prayer as a kid, right before we ate food. God is good. God is great. That's us thank for us. food. I'm in. I'll start writing down all the big churchy words that I know that I learned in theology school. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. And God is omnipresent. God is eternal. And God is immutable. Use that one and you'll get some extra credit. That means God has never changed it. I I just go through and I'll just make the list and, and while I'm doing that, I'm saying, oh God, you are distinct. You're different than these circumstances, situations that are around me. It invokes the presence of God and invoking the presence of God in that moment invites the power of God into that situation where all things are possible. For our best year ever, we need to pray. And the best prayer ever contains praise, but it also contains petition. It contains praise and it contains petition. Petition is where we make our request known of God. These are the things that we're asking God for. And there's the best phrase that we could ever find in a prayer included in this, outside of hallowed be your name, it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when the circumstances in the situations of our life don't match the certainties of heaven, we have the opportunity to petition God that God's kingdom would come from heaven to earth in the midst of our situation and circumstances. I I want you to get this. What Jesus is saying is that when there's a mismatch of things that are happening in your life and things that are happening in heaven, then you have permission from Jesus, God in the flesh, to pray that what's happening in heaven would happen on earth. So what that means is that if you've been in a season of prolonged sadness called sorrow, there is no sorrow in heaven, so you have the permission from Jesus to pray that the What's in heaven would take place in earth and that sorrow would be removed from your life. When you have shame, which is prolonged season of guilt and condemnation because of sin in your life, what we know is that in heaven there is no more shame. So you have permission to pray that what's going on in heaven would take place here on earth, that there would be no more shame in your life because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you discover sickness, and there will probably be a moment where you or someone in your your oikos, your sphere of influence, your family, your friends, coworkers, classmates, or neighbor, experience sickness. Because we know that there is no sickness or disease in heaven, we actually have permission to pray that God's will would be done, which is heaven coming to earth. So whenever there's a mismatch in your life with the circumstances and situations, to the certainty of what's happening in heaven you have permission to pray that petition. You can pray a big request or a big ask of God. I have to be very clear on the K pronunciation of that word because otherwise I'll get misquoted. Some of you will get that later. You have permission to pray a bold, confident prayer. And on top of everything that we can pray with certainty, Scripture says that God's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And when you don't know with certainty what you're praying for, the way to know God's will is to open God's word. And if you'll just stay consistent in reading God's word, you'll start to know how to pray God's will into your life. And so the only thing worse than praying an uncertain prayer to God is praying a certain but wrong prayer to God. So we want to go back to God's word and we're going to go, hey God, what's your character? What's your calling for your people? What's your standard of life, which is heaven? What's your standard of life like? And so I want to pray towards that. And so when you've already identified coming into this room why you think this needs to be your best year ever, whatever that is, and as Holly talked about and as Jared talked about presses in, that's what you pray against the standard of heaven. And you pray heaven into that situation. So after you praise, you just start to petition God, this powerful, present, perfect God and His timing to come into that situation. And one of the greatest petitions that we can pray that Jesus actually gets to is that we would pray for forgiveness. One of the things that I've discovered as a pastor over 22 years of ministry is this. There are two things that hold people back more than any other thing, and that's forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. Some of the greatest breakthrough that you can experience Is forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. And so, a part of our petition, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things we know that in heaven there is no sin, there is no sin. And what we know is that God has already kind of accomplished the way for us to move in this transformation where sin doesn't hold us back, and that's through the work of Jesus when he died on the cross as a substitute for our sin and then came back from the dead, conquering our slavery to sin and death. He's already overcome that. He's already offered that to you 2,000 years ago. And so now we say, hey, forgive me. And when we grasp That the creator of the universe has enough compassion to send his only son to die on the cross as a sacrifice and a substitute for us. It then opens up the freedom for us to be able to forgive ourselves. And then when we have understood God's forgiveness, how could we withhold it from others? So when we're praying and we praise and then we petition, in our petition, when we're saying, hey, God, your power, your presence, move into this inconsistency with the certainty of your will in heaven. We can also pray that into our struggle against sin and our inability to forgive ourselves. And the way that I do that, practically speaking, is that after I go through my praise and and I'll list out 10 things that I'm thankful for. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Sometimes it's a little bit less. I try to keep going until I get 10. After I get through that, and after I get through the petition part where I'm saying, hey, God, I need to see you. I want to see you in this. And here's some inconsistencies in my life. Then I'll spend a few minutes just saying, hey, God, I want you to help me in forgiveness. And so I'll just say, hey, God, is there anything that I have not confessed sin to you on? Is there any area of my life that's holding me back that I'm not even aware of? And, and typically, I, 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 I'm asking for the previous 24 hours because most days, this is a daily like, thing that I do in my life. And, and even this morning, God was like, God was faithful to that prayer. I said, God, is there anything that I need to confess to you? And God brought to my mind something that happened yesterday. And some of you are paying attention to the sermon for the first time because I'm about to confess something to you. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the family. We were driving up 85, getting off at the exit here on 211. And we get to the red light right up here at the exit. And there was a woman who was holding a sign. And then there was a guy that was with her. Um, They were clearly a couple. And the sign said... um, we're homeless. Um, we need a little bit of assistance, anything, you know, something along those lines. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but basically they were asking for money. So I rolled down the window to have a conversation with this woman. I was like, hey, if you're homeless, where did you stay last night? She was like, in Athens. And anyway, I go through a series of questions and then uh, just fill the prompt to, to give them um, some assistance. They were trying to get um, train tickets to go to Alabama in light of what's happening right now, I'm like, why would you ever go to Alabama? Anyway, so, um, I didn't ask that question, so I was like, hey, here's, here's some money, and, um, and so I just handed every, every bit of cash. wasn't a whole lot, but I just had everybody cash. I wasn't going to give her my debit card, of course, so, you know, I gave her the cash, and we drove off. We had a conversation about that as a family. Well, yesterday, coming up 85, getting off the exit, and when you know it, but, uh, the, the guy's back, and so I said, hey, um, a couple weeks ago, I, I helped you guys out with some money, um, he said, yeah, we've been homeless for three months, and, um, and, and there were some kind of, like, the inconsistencies in the story, like, at that point, uh, because train ticket to Alabama shouldn't cost that much. I mean, so, anyway, so, like, I, I was just, I drove off because red light turned green, and he, it, like, he wasn't asking me in that moment. I guess he re- recognized that I'd already helped him or whatever, but I just kind of drove off, and in that moment, like, my, like, process of discernment and judgment um, was going crazy, and what was going on in my head actually had an impact in my heart. And in my heart, I was starting to get hard towards them because I felt like I'd been scammed. And um, so in my like time of confession, like God's, God's revealing to me that while we have a great gift of wisdom and discernment and judgment, and it's okay for us to, to use that. It was to never grow hard as our heart. And my heart had grown hard because I felt like I was getting scammed. And if I operate out of a hard heart, then it's... Not me who's getting scammed, it's everybody else. So, like, that was a moment where, like, I needed this daily, like, moment of saying, hey, forgive me of my sin, that I'm in constant need of God's grace and more grace. And we say here all the time, you never graduate from God's grace, you never do. You're in constant need of grace and more grace upon grace as we experience transformation, moving from glory to glory to glory. We're in constant need of that grace. So forgive me of my sins. And then it's assumed that if we have received forgiveness from the Almighty, that we would share that with the people that are around us that have transgressed against us. And yet one of the saddest things that I see that happens spiritually to us in our souls is that we harbor unforgiveness and we hold on to that. And we don't forgive people that have... Transgressed against us. And often there's this misconception that when it comes to forgiving other people, what we're saying is what they've done to us is is okay and it's not okay. You're just saying in forgiveness that you're going to be okay because you're releasing that. You're releasing their control over you. There have been people in the past that have alluded to unforgiveness of other people as poison to our soul. It's poison. And it's assumed that when we receive forgiveness of God, that was accomplished 2,000 years ago, that's received to us in an ongoing process, that will extend that to other people. It doesn't mean that you remove boundaries, that, that there aren't consequences for their behavior. It just means that you're releasing control. And when we've moved through praise and through petition, we conclude our best prayer ever with protection. Deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from evil. Jesus talks about how there is an enemy of God and God's people and an enemy of your soul. And he gives the name the devil or Satan, whatever. you. If you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. I'm just saying this is what Jesus says. But an enemy of God, God's people, and the soul. And he says that the enemy of God and God's people in your soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, and he'll actually like dress up in a way that makes it look like nice and polite, friendly, but then like steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so that you would experience life that is overflowing, best life ever, because regardless of what your situation is, your soul is anchored in Jesus. But the enemy will try to do that. And so we pray, God, deliver us from evil, protect us. The Apostle Paul, he knew this. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he actually said that when you pray, you can pray protection over yourself. It's called the armor of God. And it's a uh, helmet of salvation, it's a breastplate of righteousness, it's a shield of faith, belt of truth, feet that are prepared with the gospel of peace, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that when you pray God's protection over you, you have these things that allow you to focus on what's going on internally: salvation, righteousness, which means right standing with God, right living with other, faith that you're constantly going to believe in things that are unseen, and you're going to have a hope for the things that that most people aren't hoping for. That you're going to be uh, surrounding yourself, girding yourself with this truth, truth that's in God's word, and that you're going to have feet that are ready in every moment to respond to the prompting of God's Spirit, to love on a person, to speak a word of encouragement into their life, to share the gospel with them, and that you're going to carry around the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that you're going to have this equipping to be able to defend yourself and also to go on the spiritual offensive. We need that because there is a real enemy. And the enemy of God, God's people, and your soul would love nothing other than to take this hope that you have right now When you turned the page on that calendar and started a new year and said, you know what, this is going to be the best year ever. Oh, there's a mailer from a church. Best year ever. I'm going to go to that church. The enemy of God, God's people, and your soul would love nothing other than to steal that, to kill that, or to destroy that. And so we need God's protection against that. And one of the sneaky ways that the enemy of God, God's people, and your soul will still kill and destroy what God wants to do in you and through you this year is to keep you so busy that you think you don't even have time to pray. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite um, pastors, he says that hurry is the enemy of your soul. And I didn't realize that. I mean, this is something that I heard him say a couple of years ago, and I didn't realize that um, until 2002. I was in my first year of... uh, marriage. I was in my first year of ministry at a mega church. Um, A lot of stuff that was going on. It was a program-driven church that reached thousands of people. And uh, I was at the church almost every night, you know, certainly there every day during work hours. And what I realized is that um, I was doing a lot of ministry, but I wasn't allowing God to do ministry in me. So I picked up A book on cassette tape. Students, uh, cassette tapes are these rectangular things. They have two circles in it. There's a tape in there that the player reads and then it spits out music or whatever is recorded on there. And if the tape ever got out, you had to use an eraser or your finger, your pinky usually to get it back in order. Anyway, so cassette tape, because I was too busy to read at that point. Too busy to read. So I'm listening to a book on cassette called Too Busy Not to Praise, written by Bill Hybels, one of my favorite pastors and authors, a great leader who's been faithful. And he wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And I can remember where I was driving in Grayson, where it hit me that God said, David, you've been too busy to pray, but you're too busy not to pray. Because the greatest enemy of your soul is hurry. There are 96 15-minute time slots in the day. Let's start there. It's 15 minutes where we, through prayer, have immediate, personal, access to the presence, the power, and the perfection of God in our life. Um, Our staff gets together on Thursdays to pray, and because of some life circumstances this year that have already been happening, I was not able to be here this Thursday for that one hour of prayer. And so the text went out to the group and said, hey, what do we need to be praying for? And I know that it was meant towards me because I typically kind of say, hey, this is what we're praying for this week. And my one request for services this Sunday is that the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, would convince you that prayer is important. I've come to realize, as my time as a follower of Jesus, as my time as a pastor, that prayer is the most powerful thing that we have access to at the beginning of September uh University of Georgia a football team Go Dogs went to play Notre Dame. Um did kind of a bucket list thing. Uh, my oldest son and I we went to to Notre Dame to watch the game, but on the way we stopped to spend the night with a friend of mine who had just moved to Nashville, Tennessee to be a pastor of a a large prominent church in Nashville. And we spent the night with him. And the next morning we got up in Nashville and walked down 12 South, which is one of the coolest streets in America. And we stopped at the Frothy Monkey, which is a coffee shop, and uh, we were there, um, and everybody else were like hipsters, trendy, super cool, and we get our coffee, a big mug, we get our breakfast. We're eating breakfast. I'm sure Braden was getting bored with the adult conversation that was happening between me and my friend, and um, at some point, the conversation turned to like this question of what is the like one thing that you wish people knew, or something like that. I mean, I don't even know how the setup went. And at the same moment, without even saying a word, like, my friend and I, we just started, like, crying. We got, like, super emotional. Can't even, like, still get emotional just thinking about it. It's the weirdest thing. Like, we just started. So here we are with, like, all these super trendy, like, 20, like, 30-year-olds, and we're 40-year-olds with my son, like, crying. And my son's probably like, what is going on here? And part of it was because we just wished that people knew the power of prayer. That's, that was it. It was, like, wish people knew the power of prayer. I was like, it is the, it's the most powerful thing that we've got. It is. It's, it's so powerful that it would because 40-year-old men to cry on 12 South. And that's my prayer for you. Now, I want you to be here every week in this series. I want you to be here every week this year. But if there is one thing that as a pastor I could, ask of you and ask of God is that you would understand just how important prayer is. And so I'm going to ask God to do that now. I've got two copies of Too Busy Not to Pray, and I'm going to put them down here for anybody after the service that feels a prompt to come and get them first come, first serve. You're only supposed to have one copy, but I forgot to do that at 9.15. So there's two available. (laughs) But what I know Is that God's got to convince you of that? So I'm going to ask Him to do that now.
0: Let faith arise, in spite of what I see, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief; I choose to trust You, no matter what I feel. Let faith arise Let faith arise For my champion's not dead He is alive He already knows my every need Surely he will come and rescue Time prayer.